Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. Watch on this heart of mine I keep my eyes wide open all the time I keep the ends out for the tie that binds Because you're mine I walk the line Well, we have absolutely come to the end of the line today Today is the final installment in the series that we've been in for the last few weeks the Gospel According to Cash. Now, if you're new around here and today's your first day, you may be going, what in the world? Well, let me explain. We've been using the life and the lyrics of Johnny Cash to explore the real gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. In the first week, we've got at the essential non-negotiables of the Christian faith. What, is it, what are the absolutely irreducible bottom line fundamentals of the Christian faith? After that, we took a look at what it means to really and truly walk the line, to, to live in relationally driven obedience versus legalism or maybe even permissiveness. Last week, we took Cash's cover of the Trent Reznor song, Hurt, and examined what philosophers and theologians call the subject of theodicy. It's what you and I call, where is God when I hurt or when I suffer? Today, we go to the end of Cash's life. Around 2002, 2003, Johnny Cash knew that he was dying. He and June were both in failing health. They were witnessing most of their contemporaries passing away around them. And it was during this season that he entered an incredibly prolific period creatively. And it was during this season that he wrote what could probably be called his magnum opus if one song could be called kind of that crowning achievement this song was exactly that it was an exploration of the fulfillment and the promise of the faith that cash carried throughout his life it was johnny cash taking so many biblical references that it makes your head spin at some point in the song and exploring the promise of the return of jesus christ when the man comes around. And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. There's a man going around taking names. Decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There'll be a golden ladder reaching down when the man comes around. The hairs on your arms will stand up at the terror of each sip and each sup. Will you partake of that last offer cup or disappear to the potter's ground when the man comes around? Hear the trumpets, hear the pipers, a hundred 
so much into the big kettle drum. Voices calling, voices crying. Some are born and some are dying. It's Alpha and Omega's kingdom come. And the whirlwinds in the thorn trees. The virgins are all trimming their wig. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Till Armageddon, no shalom, no shalom. Then the father hen will call his chickens home. And the wise man will bow before the throne. And at his feet lay down their golden crowns. When the man comes around. Trumpet, hear the pipers. A hundred million angels singing. The multitudes are marching to the big kettle drum. Voices calling, voices crying. Some are born and some are dying. It's happening, Omega's kingdom come. And the whirlwind is in the pool. Trees. The virgins are all trimming their wicks. Oh, the whirlwind is in the thorn trees. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. It measured honey weight and penny pound. When the man comes around. When the man comes around. Man, I'm going to tell you something. That is no easy song to sing. Give it up for Kirk Baxley helping us out this morning. Man. I, I don't know if you could tell how many biblical references Cash squeezed into that little three-minute and 52-second song. It was like just rapid fire. The hard thing about it is, too, for us, that it was mostly King James Version stuff. So that we don't even, you know, like the virgins are trimming their wicks. What in the world is he talking about? Some kind of pornographic? What in the world? But no, this whole song is a reference to the fact of the gospel that, yes, Jesus Christ lived on the earth and was here in bodily form for 33 years, about 2,000 years ago. But the gospel is not yet fulfilled. The gospel of Jesus Christ will be fulfilled when he returns when Jesus comes back we know that he was here on the earth he died on the cross he rose from the dead was alive for 40 more days appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses and then at the end of that 40 days ascended and returned back to heaven but before ascending and returning back to heaven he promised his closest followers he promised you and me that he wasn't done yet and so here in the safety of the friendly confines of Lake Hills Church Auditorium, I want you to look at your neighbor with passion and enthusiasm and tell him he ain't done. Now, obviously, when we talk about the end times or what theologians call eschatology, we're talking a lot about the book of Revelation. How many of y'all have ever read the book of Revelation? Let me just see a show of hands. 
I don't think every one of you did, but I'm going to just move on anyway. Some of you are like, peer pressure, you know. But when you read the book of Revelation, it can be a little bit intimidating. There's a lot of, of apocalyptic imagery and a lot of, a lot of things that we look at. And we're like, whoa, 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 the seven beasts and the seven seals and, and this and that. Here's what you need to know about the book of Revelation, about the study of Revelation. Revelation is all about resolution. That's what Revelation is all about. Revelation is about the resolution and the resolving of every single conflict that the world has ever known. It will be resolved. Because remember, he ain't done yet. And at the end times, when Jesus returns, everything will be resolved. I like the way that it was put in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. This is a great, great theology. It says, everything sad will come untrue. Isn't that a great statement? Everything sad will come untrue. Another way of saying the same thing would be, everything good will be real. Everything good will be complete. It will be absolutely fulfilled. And this is a function of the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus says about himself in Revelation chapter number one. Revelation chapter one. Jesus says, I am the alpha and the omega. He says, I am the A to the Z, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the almighty one. I put down there also a reference from Hebrews chapter 13 that says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Whatever you want to believe about Jesus, believe this. He is absolutely dynamic. He is absolutely interactive. He's personal. We looked at that in the first week of this installment, of this series. But he is also, at the same time he is dynamic, he is absolutely constant. He is the same as he has ever been. Jesus is eternal. Now, when you and I think of eternal, we think of forever and eternity, and it's going to last forever, and that's absolutely true. But it also means that Jesus has always been. And this is the part that just kind of fries a circuit in me. I can, I can kind of wrap my, my mind around the possibility that there's no end in sight. But where I have trouble, and this is just me talking right now, I have trouble with no beginning, that he's, just, he's always been. He was always there. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. He has always been. Nobody created Jesus. He's always been. There was no beginning. There is no end. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, he is alive and well right here and right now. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the one who always was, always will be, and always is. He is constant. Now, what I tried to do right there, just in that brief little introduction, was just kind of help you understand the scope of who Jesus is. And if you did, if I did my job, right now your mind just went, Poof. you're just going, whoa, eternity. What? There's no beginning. There's no end. There's alpha. There's omega. What? Alpha and omega are just the first, the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. That's why it's in there in Revelation. But Jesus helps us to understand what this means as we live day in and day out. As a matter of fact, 
Cash referenced that in that song that we just heard where he said, the virgins are trimming their wicks, Johnny Cash wrote, quoting the King James Bible. But what he was quoting was a story that Jesus told to his closest followers that's recorded for us in Matthew chapter number 25. In Matthew 25, Jesus is giving us some insight into the reality that he will come back, that there will be a fulfillment and a culmination to human history that ushers in the fulfillment of the kingdom of God that he initiated. But he says, you need to understand something. There's a lot going on in that fact of my return. And in Matthew 25, Jesus tells a story to help us understand what this is all about. Matthew 25, verse 1 through 4, this is what the Bible says. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids, ten virgins, who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. Let me explain. In Jesus' day, a wedding was not a a 30-minute ceremony followed by a three-hour party. A wedding was a week-long event. How many of you have... You are a father who has married off your little girl. Let me just see a show. Of hands. If you're a dad who has married off a daughter somewhere, okay, we're getting off light. We get off easy. A week long party was thrown for a wedding. And at the culmination of the wedding, the bridesmaids would go out and greet the bridegroom as he came to the bride's bedroom chamber for the fulfillment of the marriage vows. The bridesmaids would go out there and and they'd get their little olive oil lamps. They'd go, she's in here. She's waiting. Come on in. Come on in. And the bridegroom would walk in and he was the honored guest, obviously. And they're just all a twitter and all a flutter. I can't believe it. Everyone in there, they're married. This is so beautiful. And that's the picture that Jesus is painting right here. And he says that When the bridesmaids would go out to meet the bridegroom, they would go out, obviously, at night. He was coming to meet his bride. He was coming to fulfill their wedding vows as husband and wife. And they would go out and usher him into her bedchamber. Then, of course, they would leave. But they would usher him in as the special guest, as the honored guest of the bride. But a lot of times, they didn't know exactly when the bridegroom would show up to come in. And so they had to be there with their lamps ready to go. Their lamps were just little clay pots that had olive oil in them that they would light. And then that olive oil would be like a little lantern, like a little candle in the wind, if you will. And Jesus says, that's what it will be like in the final day. When Jesus returns, he is the bridegroom to the bride, the church, and We will be ready for him, but there is the possibility that we don't quite keep our stuff together. That's what he's talking about. What did he say there? Five of them were foolish, five were wise. Foolish ones did not have enough olive oil for their lamps. They they just were hanging out. Like, man, we're in the bridal party. Partag. But they were not fulfilling their responsibility as bridesmaids. 
The five wise ones knew that it wasn't just about the party. It wasn't just about what they were to get out of being named a bridesmaid. They had a responsibility to fulfill. What Jesus is saying here as it relates to his return, as it relates to the end times, is that those of us who go by the name Christ follower are to live for the moment. We are to live for the moment. Now, I'm not talking about carpe diem, live for the moment, live for the day. We are to live every single minute of every single day, of every single week, of every single month, of every single year for the moment of Jesus' return. That changes everything. If I, do, if I make every decision in my life, if I view every word that comes out of my mouth in light of the fact that Jesus could be back here right now, I am going to look at University of Texas football a little differently. I am. I'm, I'm going to watch Texas football and I'm going to go, you know what? They're not fulfilling their potential yet, but they're on the way, but Jesus could be back. Instead of throwing things at the television, hypothetically, instead of getting all amped, I can't believe it. Jesus is coming back. That changes the way you look at everything. Changes the way you look at how you parent. All of a sudden, my children's behavior is not just about me. My children's behavior is ultimately a reflection of what they think about God and what I'm showing them. God can be and mean in their lives. And so I'm going to parent, I'm going to husband, I'm going to go to work on Monday morning living for the moment that Jesus Christ will return. That changes everything. Would we live for the moment? Jesus says some people do it wisely, some people do it foolishly. Some people look at the gospel of Jesus as just what's in it for me. I feel good. I got forgiven. Jesus is my bud. My co-pilot is a Jewish carpenter. Awesome. But there's a lot more to it. We have work to do because he's coming back. And when he comes back, that will be the end of our opportunity and privilege and blessing to partner with him in this world to work toward the redemption of all that will be redeemed. And so as a Christ follower, I should live for the moment. Those bridesmaids should have been living as bridesmaids for the moment when the bridegroom would show up and they would usher him into the bedchamber of the bride. That's, that was their whole reason for being bridesmaids. But some of them were wise and some of them were not. Jesus goes on. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Remember, they've got these lamps, the bridesmaids. What did he say in Matthew 5, 16? He said, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Your lamp as a bridesmaid, my lamp as a bridesmaid to the bridegroom Christ is my life. What I do, the words that come out of my mouth, the actions, how I handle stress, how I handle success and winning, that is my candle 
That's the light that I show. And Jesus says, let your good deeds shine so that all men will praise your heavenly Father. Now, excuse me. You and I both know that not everybody is down with the Christian thing. Not everybody is. There are a lot of people who actually are hostile to the Christian thing. They're hostile. And maybe those who aren't hostile are at least skeptical, if not cynical. That's where our lives come into play. Our testimony is what we do, is what they see in us and through us. Our testimony is how we love each other. And Jesus says, through that, people will begin to see that this God thing, that this gospel thing, the good news, is actually real. That it actually matters right here and right now. But just as it matters right here and right now, it will also matter throughout eternity. And the fact is, ladies and gentlemen, that there will come a point when the reality of Jesus' authority will be acknowledged by everybody. By everybody. That's just the reality. Jesus is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. The Bible says this in the book of Philippians. Therefore, God elevated Jesus to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the reality. Jesus is large and in charge. But not everybody lives their lives or wants to acknowledge that. Not everybody wants to bow the knee to Jesus. There are a lot of us who resist the authority of Jesus. There are a lot of us who reject it. I'm not doing that. And that's absolutely your choice. You have the freedom to make that decision and reject it. But I just want to tell you in love, you're rejecting reality. And the end times, the return of Jesus, will see that reality revealed to everybody. Now you can can say, you know what, two plus two is not four. It's not. I don't buy it. I'm not believing that. And people would look at you and go, well, you know, if, if you take two eggs and you add two eggs and then you count them, that's, that's four, bro. That's reality. The authority of Jesus is the same way. When our daughter Emily was very, very young, Julie was reading with her kind of before she had gotten the whole reading thing down. And Emily asked her one day, she said, Mommy, is that word dill or bill? And Julie, being the teacher that she is, she goes, well, what do you think it is, honey? She goes, well, I think it's Dill. And she goes, oh, Emily, you're so close. It's actually Bill. And Emily said, well, I'm going to call it Dill. (laughs) And that is why we never homeschooled. (laughs) Now, here's the deal. The word on the page was absolutely Bill. But Emily, in her three-year-old mind, had decided she wanted to call it Dill. She could go through the rest of her life eating Bill Pickles. (laughs) But it still was the word dill. That was the reality. And 
the return of Jesus Christ is the ultimate resolution of that reality, that he is who he says he is. And so that's the biggest thing in the return of Jesus, that reality will ultimately be revealed to everybody. Now, back to the bridesmaids. Remember the ten virgins, five wise, five unwise? Matthew 25. Now, when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. That's the New Living Translation of Cash's line. The virgins are trimming their wicks. They're preparing their lamps to light the way for the bridegroom. The bridegroom was delayed. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. When Jesus told this story in about 30 or 31 AD, his audience assumed that he would be back in a matter of months at the most. We sit here 2,000 years removed, but still waiting. But you know what's easy for me? is to do like those bridesmaids, to become drowsy and fall asleep. I, I can get drowsy spiritually. You, you can get drowsy when you, when you don't know. It's like, well, it's been 2,000 years. Probably not going to be today. And we let our guard down, don't we? We, 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 let, we let little inconveniences, we let little annoyances creep in and take priority in our lives. We, we get sleepy spiritually. But there will come a shout. Hey, here he comes. The groom, he, he's, he's coming back. He's on his way. Verse 8, then the five foolish ones asked the others, the wise ones, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. Now, you and I in, you know, 2014, enlightened Austin, Texas, we'll, well, that's not very sweet. Go buy some for yourself. Here's the deal. Nobody else can light your lamp. Nobody else can light it. Jesus gave you a lamp when he came into your life that you are responsible for. Ultimately, our children will be responsible for their own lamps. That's the reality that Jesus is communicating here. And so the message is really clear. Yes, we live for the moment, but while we're living for that moment of his return, Keep the light on. Keep the light on. Because the fact of the matter is we don't know when he's coming back. You, have you ever seen somebody, you know, maybe a street preacher or, or somebody holding up a sign, the end is near. All that tells you is they don't have a fat clue. Nobody knows when he's coming back. Jesus tells us that even he doesn't know when God will send it back. That is for the Father to know and the Father alone. Nobody knows. But until he comes back, keep the light on. Now, 
it raises a pretty good question. How do you do that? I mean, we, we get depleted, don't we? Our olive oil runs out, doesn't it? Throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, oil is a reference to the Holy Spirit of God. The anointing of oil on somebody's head when they were anointed king, the anointing of oil when you're praying for healing for somebody, that oil always represents, biblically, the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God never runs out. This is why Jesus told us he was returning to the Father, but he would give us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit to dwell within us once we step into a relationship with Christ. And because the Holy Spirit never runs out, our lamps never have to go out. Unless we what? Quench the Spirit. Unless we snuff it out ourselves through the choices that we make. But Jesus is saying here, as a bridesmaid, keep the light on. He will be back. He will be back. <clears throat> Verse 10. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. Keep the light on, but know this, expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected. Sometimes when I come back to the office during the week, I'll, I'll, I, my office hours are kind of weird because I like to study and, and get away when everybody else is busy and there's a lot going on. So I'll come to the office some days around noon. And when I get to the office sometimes around noon, everybody else has gone to lunch. And, and I come in the back door and, and I'm expecting to see kind of a beehive of activity and people talking and doing ministry and, and there's nobody there. And there have been a couple of times where I was like, man, I, di I didn't hear a trumpet blast. Did the rapture happen? Did, did God come back and take everybody and I, and I missed it? Then they start coming back from lunch. And I'm like, okay, Mike Valentin, he's, he could have missed it too. But if... Terry Cadwell, our pastor of small groups, comes back from lunch. I know nobody has gone back to heaven yet. <laughs> Expect the unexpected. Revelation can be intimidating. It can be scary for some people. But in Christ, revelation is resolution. It's where everything is resolved. Everything comes into focus. The Bible says right now we see through a glass dimly, but then we will know as we are known. This is the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of the gospel is the return of Jesus when the man comes around. And that is a critical moment. Because when Jesus returns, the time for debate, the time for deciding is done. When Jesus comes back, 
the sides will have been chosen. And people say on a regular basis, man, I, don't, I couldn't believe in a God that would send people to hell. Neither could I. Jesus tells us in John chapter 3 that God doesn't send anybody to hell. Eternity, whether it be heaven or hell, both of which are real, by the way, eternity is simply the fulfillment of our earthly desires. If your greatest desire is to love Jesus and to love God with everything that you've got, then that will be your eternity. If your greatest desire is to reject him and to go your own way and figure it all out on yourself and to depend upon yourself, you'll get to do that throughout all eternity. That's the reality. I'm not one of these preachers who loves to talk about hell. <laughs> I'm scare the hell out of them today. <laughs> If it sounds like I'm mocking that, it's because I am. But I'd be doing you a disservice if I didn't tell you that hell is real. We tell our children, don't go too near the fire. Don't walk out into the busy street. We tell them that because we love them. Not because we want to rob them of the joy of playing in the busy street. But because that's the reality. And hell is real. But so is heaven. And the reality of Jesus' love for you is greater than the power of hell over you or over anything that you've been through. And if you're here today and you've never stepped into that reality, that's what the bridesmaids are all for to light the way, to, to show you imperfectly, very imperfectly, but to show you the way to the groom, the bridegroom that is Jesus Christ, the one who offered himself completely and unconditionally on your behalf, dying on the cross and rising again from the dead with the promise of new life for anyone who would choose to believe him, who would choose to follow him. Yes, in this life and forever. Revelation is resolution. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a second. And in this holy moment, I'm going to ask everybody, if you will, just to remain seated right now, please, and not move around or be a distraction to anybody around you because this is a holy moment if you're here today and you have never trusted Christ for the forgiveness of your sins you've never trusted him for your eternity then we want to invite you to do that right now just to make that decision right where you're sitting to follow him just to, to give him right now everything that you are in response to the fact that he gave you all of himself. This is amazing grace. And I want you to know if that's you this morning, 
then that commitment secures your forever. It changes everything. And from that moment forward, you will be living for the moment when he returns to resolve, to fulfill every promise he ever made. To make everything sad untrue. And it can begin right now. Just right where you're sitting, I want to invite you to pray. Just talk to God and pray. Say, Jesus, silently, just say it. Jesus, I need you. I claim your forgiveness. I confess my sin to you. And Jesus, I give you my life. From this moment forward, forever. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. Amen. I want to ask everybody, if you will, just to remain in a spirit of prayer. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed. If that was your prayer and you meant it, then I want to just make sure that you understand this is the most important moment of your life and it's a moment that you need to mark to make sure that you know it was real and it happened and so with our heads bowed and our eyes closed I want to ask you just to mark it by raising your hand just if you just raise your hand quietly but unmistakably high over your head for just a moment if that was your prayer and you meant it for the first time just to mark this moment. You're forever just got handled because of Jesus Christ. And so as a church, we celebrate that with you. We want to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.